remember I was in a congregation where it ended up having people leave because they didn't like the songbook that was picked. You know, I'm not talking about stuff that is just a matter of opinion. It's a matter of it edifies, but it may not be right for that congregation. I'm talking about the core truths that Ephesians 4 talks about, that Jesus talked about. And so I'm reminded of Jesus in Matthew 7, a sermon that I've preached for many, many years. I call it Fearful Facts from the Mouth of Jesus. And if you read Matthew 7, I won't take time to go through all the scriptures at this moment. You can just mark it. Jesus tells us, as our good brother talked about yesterday, not everybody wants to hear the truth. Don't cast your pearls before the swine. There's other things that narrow is the gate, straight is the way. In other words, Jesus says, I'm sure this pained him to say it, more are going to be lost than saved. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way. Few there be that find it. We are rewriting Jesus in this generation if we're not very careful. I want to be graceful. I want to be merciful. But the way I can be most graceful and most merciful is to teach them what Jesus says. And we'll talk about why that's true. You can read on in Matthew 7. And Jesus teaches that not everybody's telling the truth. And truth matters. Because Jesus said in Matthew 7, some will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you. Who does he know? Those that obey him. And then he tells the story about the wise man and the foolish man. You know the children's song that we sing? It's incredibly important. He says, one man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came, the storms came. What happened to the house on the sand? As, a, as we do with the children. One built his house on the rock. Who was that rock? Jesus Christ. You can't build your house on Jesus and ignore what he says, can you? So are you going to be wise? Or are you going to be foolish? I don't call you foolish. Jesus says, if you don't obey Him, obey Him. Not just believe in Him, but obey Him. You're a fool. You're like the man that built his house on the sand. But if you build your house on the rock, you're going to have a life of grace and mercy. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to learn. You're going to grow. But in your heart of hearts is the commitment to do what Jesus asked you to do. And the world's not going to like that. Jesus said, Gospel of John, if they hate me, they'll hate you. But that doesn't mean we are to be hateful. But the truth is, we are not going to get the world to surrender to Jesus by surrendering what Jesus says and changing it to make it 
nicer for them. That's just the truth. That was truth in Jesus' day, and it's the truth now. We are in spiritual warfare. I'm close friends with a man named Joe Beam who wrote a book on spiritual warfare. I know his life real intimately because I was involved with him, knowing what was going on. And he really made me think that we are in a war. We're to be good soldiers of the cross. Now some take that and go the wrong way with it. But you have to ask yourself, am I more concerned what the world is going to think about me than what Jesus thinks about me? Isn't that clear? You agree with that? It's okay to say amen in here? Amen, amen walls, as they say. I'm getting ready to head to Africa for three months. and You guys, they... Uh, they might be a little more lively than even you. And uh, that's okay. It can be lively in a lot of ways. But we are in, we are in a spiritual battle. Now Jesus says in Ephesians 4.15, Speak the truth, how? In love. Speak the truth in a loving way. But you are not loving when you fail to teach exactly what Jesus says. I saw a billboard coming. I have no idea what it means for sure. But it was just one phrase. Diversity equals salvation. Now, I understand the importance of diversity. But here's what equals salvation. Being like Jesus. That's going to make us have a lot of sameness, isn't it? I mean, we have different abilities, different talents, different backgrounds, different stories, but there's only one story that brings us together. That's the story of Jesus. We used to sing a song quite a bit called, I Love to Tell the Story. And I'd sing that every Sunday growing up knowing I was lying. <laughs> That's just the truth. I remember the day that it really occurred to me that I was lying, very clearly. We're in a truth war. Paul said to the church at Galatia, he said, am I become your enemy, Galatians 4.16, because I tell you the truth. And here's the truth. In today's world, you will often become somebody's enemy even if you speak the truth in love. That's okay. Christianity was born on a cross. It lives on a cross. We want to do everything we can to speak with grace, to be kind, to be loving. But we cannot love somebody into the kingdom of God. Should we love? Absolutely. Is it essential? Yes. Faith comes by and hearing by the 
Christianity is a taught religion. It cannot be caught if it is never taught. And so we need to be a people committed to the truth. Strong passage in Acts 17. The apostle Paul says to the, about the Bereans, they searched the scriptures daily to see whether the things they were taught were true. Now several things could be emphasized there, but one of them is there is truth. Truth to be sought. I was privileged a few years ago to be in Berea. <laughs> it was incredible as I thought about what Paul said about them. My question is, do you just accept what these guys say without searching? Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. How was Paul speaking? Now am I talking about you being rebellious and you being divisive? Absolutely not. <coughs> but you have to be a searcher and be a seeker and seek the truth. And Jesus seemed to teach to me in the Gospel of John that if you want to know the truth, you, you'll know it when you hear it. May or may not be a right interpretation of some things that I thought he said. This is descriptive of our age. Any of you know who Prince Charles is? The next and future king of England. Right? And uh, I got this story out of a book that I'm reading. In England, the king or the queen is the head, in essence, of the Anglican, Anglican church. They're called the defender of the faith. And Charles said in 1994, pretty current, he said, I'd like to change that to defender of faith. And the reason he said that is, I don't want to elevate Christianity above Islam, Hinduism, and this one really gets me, Wicca. There's a Greek word for this. I'm not, I've had some Greek, but I'm not like the brother here. There's a Greek word for that. You know what it is? Marvin Phillips used to say this. Baloney. <laughs> That's baloney. So much of what you're going to hear is baloney. Check it out. Read. Don't listen to baloney. We're in a society that wants to do away with God's laws about morality and about marriage and about truth. You know, we're back to the New Testament times when, was it Herod said, what is truth? Or was it Pilate? Who said it? Pilate. What is truth? And we live in a time where many people believe there's no such thing as truth. Now what's the problem with that? John 14, Jesus said, I am the Way I am the, I am the, no one, who, talk to me, no one comes to the Father except by me. 
That is considered, in some places, hate speech. You guys are facing the best of times and the worst of times. Really. So Jesus says, I'm the way. 1 John 4, 1 says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's not changed. That's not changed. So what we're facing is, even some in our fellowship want to reinvent the church and there's things we need to change, things we need to grow in. I've been challenged this week. I'm an old dude. I'm setting my ways. I've got to let it be Jesus' way. You know, Burger King says, I have a right, the brother said, to have it my way. That's what many of us believe. But the truth is, if we try to reinvent the church to make it pleasing to the world... It's going to be a disaster. Now, we want the world to know that we are of God. How do we do that? What is John 13? Do you know what it says? 34? 35? What does it say? By this, all men shall know you're my disciples if you don't stand for anything. Is that what it says? You going to let me get by with that? By this shall all men know you are my disciples if you change the truth to make them happy. Here's what he says. By this shall all men know you are my disciples if you love one another. What Jesus said was the number one command. Love God with all your heart, all your soul. Second unto it, like unto it. Not lesser, really is love your neighbor as yourself. That does not mean, though, compromising with the world. We cannot be a cross-centered religion <laughs> I had a dream the other night, i tell you the truth. <laughs> I had a dream that was so vivid I woke up so upset I won't tell you all the details I walked out of a church building with Chad and my wife where I used to preach Robert was there a little bit of the time and all of a sudden we walked out the door of this building and I heard music in the air and I looked up, and there comes Jesus. I said, Jesus! And he points at Chad. Chad goes up, and I'm left behind. <laughs> Whoa, I'm telling you. Robert, I'm telling you. I haven't got over that yet. You know, God does sometimes, I think, and has talked to us in dreams. And so I'm saying, God, forgive me of my... Impure thoughts, forgive me of my attitude, forgive me of my laziness, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, and help me do your will. If I don't know it, reveal it, right? And so, 
Are we a cross-centered church? Paul said to the church at Corinth, a church filled with troubles, I came among you knowing nothing save Jesus and him crucified. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Christ, listen to this, is the Lord and head of the church. Paul taught Ephesians 1 other places. He's the Lord and the head of the church. Whoa, that scares me when I'm preaching. <laughs> and somebody picks up a rock. <laughs> Here's what Jesus said in John 14, 50. Mark this. Put this in your heart. If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what Jesus taught. In the book of Jude, you can turn there, and we're going to go quickly. Quickly. Jude says that we are in a spiritual battle. And he wanted to talk about mercy and grace. But he said because of what's going on, because of the false prophets, because of the immorality, because of the profaneness, I've got to come to you and tell you to contend for the faith once delivered. Now some have made that mean very little. And I must confess to you, growing up as a preacher, I got to where I just disregarded that because I heard that used so many times about stuff that Jesus, Jude, absolutely was not talking about. <coughs> so the challenge for me is, am I willing to contend for the faith? It could cost me my job. It could cost relationships. I think one of the challenges of being a preacher today is we make so much, may not seem like much compared to some. I mean, they start out. Here I'm whining and complaining. Youth ministers, and I love youth ministers, my son's one, they start out making their I've made more than I've made after 50 years. And you risk that sometimes. But there's things you'd have to risk, isn't there? And have. I happen to know the story of some of you and the great cost that you've paid for standing up for the truth. But we need to remember, Jude says, you know, it's not really what I long to talk to you about, but because of what's going on, I've got to say something else. I'm reminded what Romans 11:22 says, Consider the kindness and the severity of God. I think we're doing pretty good talking about the kindness of God in today's church. But you don't hear much about the severity of God. And this is a chapter where he's talking about 
spiritual, that Israel, natural Israel, was cut off. Thank God we are the Gentiles that were grafted in. Kindness to those who obey Him. Severity to those that don't. Is that the Jesus and is that the God that you hear proclaimed in many places? Don't misunderstand. I'm going to say this again. What I'm saying gives you or me no right <coughs> to be ugly. Speak the truth, how? But speak the truth. Some of us, some Christians, have spiritual lockjaw. I know there's a time to speak and a time to be quiet. Jesus was quiet once. But there's a time to speak. And you need to be seeking God and His will and His wisdom and listen to the Spirit of God and speak up when you need to speak up. All we have to do to let Satan win our world is do nothing. Say nothing. All we have to do to let Satan destroy our churches is just focus fully on the kindness of God and not tell the generation that is coming up behind you that there's another side to that story. They're not, they're not in conflict. But remember, and Jude says this is an age-old thing. Where did it start? The Garden of Eden. What did Satan do? He lied. He didn't tell the truth. He didn't tell the truth. In verse 11, in verse 6, Jude talks about the angels that sinned and Satan being cast down. Now I want to ask you, if the angels had to obey God, and if Satan had to obey God, and when they didn't, they were cast down, what about you and me? Thank God for His grace. I love Romans 8, 1. I love those passages, and I understand them. I believe that grace is a wonderful thing. But if you want to leave the grace of God and you keep walking, you can get out of the light. That may be harder than you think. But he talks about Cain, verse 11. Verse 14 and 15, he talks about the preaching of Enoch. Verse 7, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, there were a lot of issues at Sodom and Gomorrah, but in this case, he is emphasizing the sexual immorality. They also didn't take care of the poor and the needy, <coughs> some of the prophets say. Talks about the false teaching of Balaam, verse 11. The rebellion of Korah, verse 11. And that's why Paul's teaching in 2 Timothy 2.15 is so essential. One translation says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth. I kind of compacted that. Really, it's not talking about just opening your Bible. It's talking about as you're in your life. Studying to do the right thing to obey Jesus. 
Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Does that say, young men and young ladies, old guys like Robert? He married Rita, she's young, so I won't go there. Does that imply there's a truth to be had? That's what it says. And the implications of not obeying the truth, according to Jude, are very, very significant. MacArthur wrote that uh, Jude, I think you'll know what this is, may have changed since I was in college. Jude is the cliff notes on the long war against truth. Anybody here know what cliff notes are? They do something else today, I think. That's when you haven't read the book and you go get the cliff notes, right? And hope the teacher doesn't ask you directly, did you read the book or put it on the test? So there is spiritual terrorism. What do we do? It's not enough just to call it out. And I could talk about all kinds of issues. That the world is leading us into. Anytime that we start agreeing very seriously with Hollywood, we're in big trouble. And yet they've told us that the number one moral thing is that you accept everybody and everything. And if you don't, you are not a Christian like Jesus. And I'm wondering, did they ever read the New Testament? Did they ever read what Jesus actually said? What a loving Savior. No one ever cared for you like Jesus. But he said, if you don't obey me, you're like this fool that built his house on the sand. That's the loving Savior who went to the cross. This is the one who went to the cross and looked down and said, Father, forgive them. But he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so what do we do? Well, first of all, we remember, Jude says, what was prophesied. I think he's referencing a direct scripture from 2 Peter 3.3. Of course, he didn't have 2 Peter 3.3, but that Peter talks about. Turn to 2 Peter 3.3. If you look at what Jude says... It's almost identical to what Peter says in uh, 2 Peter 3 and verse 3. I'll find it here in just a moment if you'll give me a second. I lost my preaching Bible before I came and I picked up this little one and somebody moved the pages around or something. <laughs> Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. At the root of almost everything we're hearing is people who want their own sinful desires and not only want you to love them, but they want you to tell them what they're doing is okay. And Christians just can't do that. We just can't do that. So remember... The word of God. Remember what's prophesied. Number two. He talks about being. Remain. 
Remain. Let's go back to Jude. Remain. And what he's saying here, in my opinion, is stay committed to the truth. Build yourself up. There's several ways we do that. We build, number one, we build ourselves up in the most holy faith. That's what he said. And by that, I think he's meaning edify one another by the word of God. So there's a, if we're going to be in this truth war, we've got to get strong. And the way we do that is by building ourselves and others up in the most holy faith. Number two, maintain your spiritual stability. How do you do that? He specifically says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit dwells us. We need to have this intimacy in our talks and relationship with God. It's not enough, listen to me, it's not enough just to be open here. We've got to be open to God. It's not exactly the same thing. Praying in the Holy Spirit, having spiritual stability. Turn to 2 John. Why is this important? Turn to 2 John. It's only one chapter. <coughs> we don't hear this too much in some places. <coughs> Excuse me. They took my lung and I can't get over this, this cough. Um, 2 John, verses 8 and 9. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the Son, in the, in the teaching, has both the Father and the Son. That's what the Bible says. We need to maintain, thank you, spiritual maturity. And number three, my last point. When I, was, when I went to Freedom Hardeman, when I went to school, they told us, stand up, speak up, shut up. So I'm going to be done here in just a minute. They also said, if you don't strike oil in 25 minutes... Quit boring. <laughs> I could go on. I know all kinds of corny stuff. My wife says, Mike, don't tell that. That's old. I said, I'm old. I'm old. I can't help it. Number three, verse 21 of Jude. Keep in love with God. Stay in the love of God. How do you do that? John 15, 9 and 10. If you keep my commandments. Did, well, say that with, read this with me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments. I'm talking to you all. If you keep my commandments. 
You will abide in my love. As I kept my Father's commandments. And abide in his love. So how do we keep in the love of God? Keep his commandments. And I challenge you, how are you going to know the commandments of Jesus if you're not in this book? I'm, I, I have been so impressed with your singing and your joy. And I'll tell you the truth, not everything just makes me real comfortable. But I don't have to be comfortable. Okay? What I am comfortable with is it seems you love God. And that you want to do the will of God. But listen to me. Lifting up hands and clapping. When I came in, you were doing some song. I couldn't hear the words because chemo takes a lot of your hearing. And you were clapping and dancing. I said, whoa, this is going to be interesting. I think they call it the clap song or something like that. Is that right? Uh, that's easy to do. I even wanted to do it. It's easy to do in a crowd like this. And that's part of the good thing. But we've got to go out. We can't stay on the mountain. We can't stay on the mountain. We have to go out into the valley below, as the song says. Are you ready to go out into the valley and abide in the love of Jesus in this truth war by keeping and speaking His commandments? I conclude with 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6. And it's not exactly connected to this, but I, I think it is. 1 Timothy 1, 4 through 6. Now the Spirit expressly says, and in the later times, later times have been around since the church was established. This is the last age. That some will depart from the faith. Listen to this. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Some of us had to come through that. All of us had to come through that in one way or another. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. When I was 18 years old, I was trying to make money to go to college, and I, I started selling wherever cooking utensils. You don't know what they are, but back in the 60s, a, a set cost over $300, which back then was a lot of money. And the way we did it, we went house to house, door to door. I learned a lot about working for Jesus with that. But if I'd get a chance, I would go, get in, make my presentation, and I'd take the frying pan, greaseless, waterless cookware. I'd make a cake on top of the stove. And then take a Hershey bar and melt on top of it. They thought that was pretty cool. But then, if they were really good customers, I carried a steak out in the car in a cooler, and I'd put it 
on the stove without grease and cook it in three and a half minutes. And I'd say, you know what's happening is this is being seared. Now turn the other side. Now, now it's going to sear this. It's going to have all these juices inside. But talk, Paul talks about if we don't love the truth, we can have our conscience seared, deadened. And people with a dead conscience don't really care about the truth, do they? What do you think? They forbid marriage, require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Those who don't really love the truth often emphasize things that are just absolutely nonsense. Paul goes on. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving and made holy by the word of God. Let's go on to verse 11. Command and teach these things. Do you hear what it said? Command and let no one despise your youth, but set, are you ready for this? But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. That sounds great, doesn't it? But notice what he connects it with. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, to exhortation, to teaching, and don't neglect the gift God has given you. One of the sad points in my life that I look back in, I played basketball, I played football. You would never know it now, but I was a pole vaulter. Can you imagine me bending that pole now? To the moon, you know. I spent lots of times with friends, enemies. And until very late in my teen years, I never spoke to them about Jesus. I never stood up and spoke up for the truth. And I'm telling you, thank God for his grace. And I ask him for forgiveness. But it kills my heart. And I've tried to make that up. And I'm trying to, you know, there's bad things about Facebook. But there's really good things too. So I'm, connect, I'm in contact with a bunch of them. I'm trying to bump them toward Jesus. They know who I am and where I stand. They didn't know it then. If, they, if you would have told them that Michael Napier was going to be a preacher for all kinds of reasons, they would have laughed. I'm just telling you the truth. I'll tell you that story sometime. But the one that really makes me sad, too, and I'll quit, is my precious grandma. She's really into the TV preachers. And she'd send them their money, and they'd send her the anointed handkerchiefs and all that stuff. And I'd go see my grandma, and I wanted to speak up in love. But the devil would whisper, you hurt her feelings. 
Who are you to judge? Now, I pray for God's grace because she died without obeying the gospel as I understand the scriptures to teach. And then my wife's dad, he didn't like me from the day that I started coming after Diane. <laughs> First time I knocked on his, their door to take her on a date, he opened the door and he said, who are you? He said, I said, I'm Michael Napier. He said, your grandpa was a thief. Boom! Now, I'm a lot of things, but a coward I am not generally. I thought, you're picking on the wrong boy here. I didn't give up. And uh, Diane didn't particularly like me. First time I saw her, I saw her at a basketball game in between games. And in the Mount Vernon gym, there was a balcony. I looked up and I saw her, and I said to my friend Bill, that's the girl I'm going to marry. Now, I tell teens all the time, this doesn't happen, you know, but, but so I've got on my orange blazer. I'm so skinny, if I stuck out my tongue, you know, I'd look like a popsicle or something, I don't know. I mean, had on my lucky orange rabbit's foot. I've got on my orange, and I'm feeling pretty good, Robert. So I walk up to the balcony, and I'm actually fairly shy, still am. And I look at her, and she's sitting with Carl Miller. I'm a junior. He's a sophomore. I've got on my orange. I think I can take him. I say to Carl, move over, Carl. He moved over. I sat down by Diane, and I said, hi, I'm Mike, what's your name? And here was my, now my wife's first words to me, get lost jerk. But we worked through that, prayer and persistence. He hated that she was going to marry a preacher, especially a church Christ preacher, because he said, they won't pay anything. You need to be a Baptist. That's what he said. I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I'm just telling you what he said. But one day he said, I'd like to talk to you about the Bible. I went in loaded, buddy. Loaded. And we talked. He said, Mike, I really feel like I'm saved because I feel it right here. Now, I raised in a generation that said, feelings don't matter. And I looked at him and said, well, if you'll take a Tums, it'll probably get rid of that. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. That was the end of it. Never got another chance. Because I didn't speak the truth in love. God, forgive me. God, be gracious. When in the better land, before the bar we stand, how deeply grieved our soul will be. If any lost one there 
should cry in deep despair. You never mentioned him to me. You helped me, not the light, change it, the truth to see. You met me day by day. You knew I was astray. Yet you never mentioned him to me. The book of Judy talks about those that sincerely believe something that need to be taught. Then he talks about those who just don't care about the truth. We need to have mercy toward those that we're working with. Okay, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. On the day of judgment, I would rather have someone look at me if I did it in love and say, you hurt my feelings. Rather than say, you never mentioned him to me. God bless you. May you walk in grace and mercy. May you be led by the Spirit. May you renew your commitment to Jesus each day. And may you stand up for truth and be a soldier for Jesus. And the church says, Amen. Amen. God bless you.